is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Kyle McMahon, and he takes us through a little bit of everything that he's done in entertainment up to this point. It's very eclectic and quite a wild ride. Also, he hosts a show on iHeartMedia called Pop Culture Weekly, and he gets to the heart of his interviewees, much like I feel happens in this show. So we have a lot of parallels together, and I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Kyle McMahon. Let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning of time for Kyle McMahon. What were your broadcast dreams growing up? I've always been into entertainment and uh, storytelling in some form. I mean, I used to do, uh, you know, video like videos um, of little shows that I would create and audio stories. And I, I mean, it's always kind of been since I was little, you know, I, my mom always laughs that I would make her and my dad uh, watch these kind of never ending shows. And <laughs> I would just, you know, I'd have like kind of a story and then would just wing it and it end up being, you know, okay, this five minute play has turned into 45 minutes. Like let's, let's, uh, <laughs> cut it off here, Kyle. Um, I've just always been into it. I never knew exactly where that road would lead, meaning I didn't know what form it would take, but I always knew that I would connect with people um, and help to tell stories in some fashion. Uh, I always knew that that would be true for me. What, uh, what did your parents teach you about work ethic? So, uh, a lot. Um, my mom instilled in me very young, you know, you, you get a job as soon as you're able and you do your part and, um, and, uh, and work as hard as you can. My dad, uh, is a workhorse. Um, he was in the military for 30 years, uh, just retired, um, I believe two years ago. And, uh, he, I mean, he, he is like, uh, puts 110% into everything. And that was always instilled in me too. I mean, watching him be successful in everything that he's done with work made me want to do the same, you know? Mm. So it's always been a, uh, a instilled in me, you know, since I was young. And I definitely believe that's why I'm always working now. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I enjoy all the things that I do. Um, but you know, I've got a crazy schedule and, but I like it that way. And I, I honestly think a lot of that comes from, from them. You have such an interesting story and journey <laughs> and the things you've done from like Selma and signing with Warner brothers and like all of this stuff. And now iHeartMedia. Um, what was that? Just like, if we're going back to like, let's go back to high school for you. What was this journey with Warner Brothers? How did that come about for you? What was the transition in there? So my friend, Janice Robinson, was a songwriter, um, is a songwriter, singer, uh, artist, and she's absolutely incredible. And she had opened for um, Tina Turner on Tina's farewell tour, and she asked me to come. Um, or I went to go see her and, and she was like, you know, bring your music. I'd love to hear it. And so 
I brought it and it just kind of went from there. And I think I met like her label rep there or something. And they were like, oh, give us a call or whatever. And then, you know, time went on and I kind of kept in touch with them. And then when um, I was a senior, uh, we started actually talking, you know, a little bit more in depth. Um, and then right after that, I signed a what's called a development deal. Um, where they kind of develop you as an artist. And then uh, that grew from there. Um, very strange, but but uh, it was cool. You know, recording in college, uh, I was going to L.A. in Atlanta uh, to record with these awesome, you know, big boosters that I love. And then coming back to school and being like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that project that, that was due today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was very strange, but, but my school Wilmington university was awesome. Uh, I mean, they really helped me, uh, handle, you know, manage both, but, um, it was weird. You know what I mean? I mean, you'd go and do these like cool things and, and be kind of almost catered to, and then you'd come back and, and, uh, you know, I worked like at Best Buy and it'd be like, oh yeah, uh, you're five minutes late. What's going on? And I'm like, this is so weird. Like, you know, on like one end, you're like being treated like royalty and then you come back to Best Buy and I love Best Buy, but I'm just, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I had a job and and they were like, you know, you're five minutes. And I'm like, this is so strange. It was like, it's like always been balancing kind of two different worlds. That's for sure. Yeah. The Okay. So what were you studying? What were you studying in college? What did you study? What was your degrees? degree uh i got a i always get this messed <laughs> up um i got yeah. a minor in photography okay i got a bachelor's in multimedia marketing i think and an associates in graphic design associates. i went to school for like 30 years and that not, was not, yeah no <laughs> but what was this okay so so you're you know you have the, the record deal was haphazard or had you been seeking a career for yourself in music i was always you know always writing songs and yeah. um you know i was just always a creative kid right. and i could that was probably my dream at that point okay. was to do music Sure. And, you know, I, I got there and then it was a little, you know, then you get into the business part of it. And I made okay. amazing uh, friends and, and mentors and, and such, but um, the business part was what was a little bit scary to me, not the actual business, but the business of music um, and image and that sort of thing. You know, I was always very self-conscious about myself anyway. And, you know, they pressure you. I mean, it's not at broad and it wasn't particularly Warner Brothers, but just in that industry, you know, you're pressured to look a certain way and act a certain way and dress a certain way and, you know, uh, be more boy next door and, um, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that kind of freaked me out. Um, and Was I wasn't one moment in time there you were like oh okay this is it i'm good i'm 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 going to pass on so, it so one thing that happened to me that really 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 freaked me out yeah. was so i started getting some followers and stuff on myspace 
MySpace. Um, yeah, this was uh, this yeah. was a few years before Facebook, um, and right. I was doing pretty well on it and getting a lot of plays and that sort of thing as I was recording. And I think the and I was never famous, you know what I mean. But mm. I think the notoriety aspect, if you could say it that way, um, was freaked me out in some ways. So you had, I had a, a girl who was probably very innocent, um, about it, but she somehow found my parents address where I lived and sent a snow globe with a picture of me inside the snow globe and sent it to my house. And that it was probably meant to be really nice and, and all, but it really, really, really freaked me out because I'm like, okay, they like tracked me down and then like cut out this picture of me from the internet, you know, printed it out and then like put it in a snow globe. I don't even know how snow globes are made or how that <laughs> picture was, but it just really weirded me out. Yeah. And like I said, it may have been very, very innocent and it probably was, but I was just like, yeah, this is weird. Like I'm a nobody and somebody has kind of sought me out that along with the, my, in, my, you know, musical tastes have always been very broad. You know, my mom loved, um, dance and disco. It loves dance and disco and Motown. My dad, you know, was Steely Dan is Steely Dan and Fleetwood Mac and, and that sort of thing. My aunt who was, is much younger was into kind of like the, the music of the time, you know, the pop yeah. popular music. Um, and so, uh, I always had a very, very broad, uh, love of various genres and time periods. And so that was reflected in my, some of my songs may have been like pop rock, but some have been dance. And that was another problem in the industry is that, especially when you're first coming out, they want to understandably to a point package you, you know yeah. what I mean? And I, that, if I did a pop rock song today um, and a dance song tomorrow, I in my head couldn't understand why they those couldn't go together on an album or whatever. So, sure. so with that whole business aspect and then the whole kind of getting these weird glimpses of fame, it you know I kind of started being like, okay, wait, you know, maybe I shouldn't be so aggressive with how I'm I'm wanting to achieve this. So, you know, I kind of just had to take a backseat and, and kind of think, all right, maybe it's not like the major label way that you want to go as this big pop thing. Um, maybe it's more like indie or, or, uh, less fanfare or something. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. So that was a struggle for me. And then my dad ended up, um, you know, uh, getting deployed. And so I kind of had to put everything, um, to the side anyway. Um, my grandmother also got diagnosed with cancer and moved in with us. So it was a very, uh, challenging time. And I didn't think that I should be, you know, running around the country recording with my mom at home with my grandmother and my dad, you know, overseas. Yeah. So it kind of all happened 
you know, at the time I didn't feel like that, but it, looking back, it kind of all happened perfectly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that ended up leading to uh, Brad Fischetti, who was in um, a, a pop group called LFO. He ended up um, opening this label called 111 uh, Records, which ended up getting picked up by Warner Brothers. So Brad, like, I guess, bought my contract out from Warner and um, which was awesome because now I could, you know, Brad is very good about me kind of doing what I wanted for the most part. Um, you know, it was more uh, indie and less machine. Um, yeah. And but then it had the Warner distribution. So uh, so that was awesome and much more up my alley. What was this connection with Brad? Had you guys met previously or was this? an introduction like how did how did that come about so um i was doing interviews on my website kylemcmahon.com um all the way back then and i thought it was interesting that he was this you know in this big pop group and then was like um i want to step aside for a little while and open up a indie rock label i just thought that was very it just intrigued me. You know what I mean? Yeah. How do you go from, you know, um, arenas with 15,000 screaming girls and guys, um, and, and then be like, Oh, you know what? Instead of continuing on with that or releasing a solo album or whatever in the meantime, um, I'm going to do a indie rock label. It just was really interesting to me. So I wanted to talk with him about it. So I interviewed him. I didn't tell him anything about my music. Uh, he found out later, um, and so that's kind of how that relationship happened. Yeah. And, uh, and then it just kind of grew from there. Um, and we kept in touch and he was, is still a great mentor to me. Um, he, he, especially in the music, especially because he came from, you know, pop, the pop world. I mean, yeah. you know, the pop band, they had pop hits and, um, you know, they toured with Britney and, and, uh, all those guys, O-Town and, and, um, InSync and Backstreet, they were all from like the same, you know, management essentially. Sure. And, uh, so he came from like a pure pop world and I just found that really interesting, like just to go from one extreme to the other. Mm-hmm. And he was great to guide me through. He also understood where I felt pressure and where I felt weird about certain things. Um, he got it because he had been there before himself. So that's kind of how that relationship developed. And we're still extremely close to this day. Why did you start doing interviews on your website? Uh, one to kind of pre, uh, to kind of garner attention while I was recording, not attention, but to, to bring people to the website, sure, you know, sure. um, marketing wise while I was recording. So if they saw a cool interview or something or somebody they liked, uh, maybe they would sign up for the newsletter or whatever right. that when the record came out, you know, there's some, people that might check it out. So that's how that all started. Yeah. But then it transitioned for you or it was always, I mean, for instance, let's start with like your first interview. Do you remember who your first interview was? 
I have no idea. Isn't I really crazy? don't remember. You've done so yeah. many, right? How can yeah. you? Do you remember yesterday's? It's like, oh Lord. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was the? How did your interviewing style or technique grow, change, or evolve from the early days to now? So, back then, um, and it sounds like it was like the '30s, you know, right. back, back then, <laughs> back in the um, yeah, uh, back 10 years ago, um, <laughs> they, uh, I was very, you know, when I first started out, I was very hyper-focused on doing well technically, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Hit every beat, uh, get every word, ask every question that I want to. Yeah. Um, today I do not, I don't script interviews at all i don't write questions down at all i don't for me my style um i don't like it i can't even remember what i ate this morning because i have a horrible memory always have but let alone either have to memorize these questions or i don't want to read off from them either i like natural conversations i'm a curious person i always ask a ton of questions anyway um, uh, you know, when I talk to anybody or, or find out about anything, I'm just a naturally curious person. So I don't script them out. I don't have any questions that I, you know, go into something knowing. Now, there may be uh, something I know that I've always wanted to ask somebody. And then if I interview them, I'm going to ask that. Right. But I do not go in with any kind of script or notes uh, notes in regards to like, you know, note cards or something where, okay, here's one, here's two, here's three. It's just sure. not my style. I like, um, I find that I am more natural when it's just conversational. Hmm. So, and sometimes that puts people off. I had, uh, a publicist that, um, actually was emailing me. She asked me about interviewing, um, this talent and, uh, and I was like, sure, you know, that'd be great. And then she emailed me back and she was like, cool, can you, you know, send the questions? And, um, and I'm like, mm, you know what I mean? And, and I feel like, especially with this person, because, you know, they're, the, the publicist is, is very reputable publicist, but I feel like she's probably like, who the hell are you? You know what I mean? To like, tell us, but I just don't like it. Um, it just feels too formal, <clears throat> formal for me. And then I feel like I'm doing work and not that I mind doing work, but mm -hmm. it's very unnatural for me in that process. So, you know, she may e email back and be like, okay, well then never mind, And that's fine. But, um, it just works better for me. So I've always kind of been that way. Uh, I, I mean, I shouldn't say always, that has evolved that way. Right. Um, and that's how I like it. You know, I, I met, I didn't interview her, but I met, um, Patty LaBelle backstage at this PBS event. And I love Patty LaBelle. I mean, she's an icon, a legend. My mom, you know, got me into her. Um, and I went up to her and, you know, so many questions that I would want to ask her. Right. And I'm like, I, I just want to say, I absolutely love your banana pudding. It is the best thing I've ever had. It's like crack. <laughs> so I'm meeting Patty LaBelle. Um, and that's what I said to her. 
And she was because, you know, she has like a line of foods at Walmart and such. And the the banana pudding is so good. But she actually like kind of like I think she was like happy because she's probably so used to everybody being like, oh, Patty, you're you know, you're a legend, the music and blah, 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 blah. blah. And I'm like, your banana pudding is like crack. I love it so much. You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) And if it was a formal interview, you know, if we had. Uh, obviously that's not a, a a question that I would be like leading with, but yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just how I am. I just like conversation rather than, you know, having it all. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I have to say the same thing. I notice depending on who I'm talking to, some people want the questions ahead of time. Others do not. Some publicists are really, really tight, you know, on like send it to us first. We're going to edit, you know, and I get it. Everyone's got a different brand and message and I understand it, but yes, when you can have a conversation like this, it just, it flows. Yeah, um, I, uh, I, I, in my research of you, I, I you have, it, it's so varied what you've done <laughs> according to the internet. And sometimes it can be a real and mistaken place. I want to touch on you managing a golfer, <laughs> Michael, yes. and yes. then going into, um, uh, uh, oh, I'm completely blanking on his name, Tyler, um, with managing what looked like music career. Uh, what what was this transition? What did that, how did that piece together for you? So it, you know, these, all of these things that I do almost all the time are simultaneous with other projects. You know what I mean? Sure. sure. There's never, I'm not the type of person who can, um, kind of do one thing, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week, blah, blah, blah. One, I love being busy. I love being productive or at least what I think at the time is productive. Um, and so I'm always juggling multiple things. So with, uh, Tyler ice Cody, um, he was an artist that I, somebody had like introduced us and was like, you would really love him. He was local to me. Um, you'd really love him. You got to check out his music and talk to him, blah, blah, blah. So I did. And, um, and I did love his music. He was awesome. And I'm like, wow, you know, this guy was really, really good. Uh, maybe I can help guide him, um, to get where he wants to go. So mm-hmm. we were, uh, we got up and we just had an instant connection. Um, and we just kind of got each other musically, um, and on a personal level. So I kind of helped to guide him. So he's, you know, a freshman in college, um, and at the time, and, I'm like, I had been there a few years before, you know what I mean? So, um, especially with music. So I was like, let's put a plan together, you know, and figure out how to get you where you want to go. So that's what we did. Um, and, uh, then Mike, Michael Tobiason, um, is one of my, has been one of my best friends for, you know, since we were in high school and he, has always been a golfer. Um, his father was a golfer and, uh, that was him and his father's way of of bonding really, um, was golf. So Michael is very driven, um, when he wants to be. So he was highly focused on golf and made it all the way to, uh, the, um, open. Unfortunately, his father had just passed a few months before that. And, he uh so it was kind of bittersweet in many ways that that he you know he made it pro um 
and his father didn't get to see him do it. However, um, you know, that may have been what driven him to get there, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, he, the, you know, I was much more uh, well-versed with the broadcast part of things um, where I know nothing about golf except this ball needs to get over there. Uh, And so, um, so we, he needed somebody to kind of manage him for this. So I was like, you know, who else are you going to get? You know what I mean? Like, it's not a question. Like I'm going to do this for you. So, um, and now that I think about it, he never really asked me. I just kind of told him, but, (laughs) um, (laughs) seemed to work out. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, we went to the open and, um, I had, uh, put up all of these. I know this was a great chance to get press for him. Um, and, uh, so I made up all these, uh, kind of like media packets and I went into the media center at the open, you know, on day one, like before the open even started as you know, in the rehearsal or not rehearsal, you can tell them, um, on the entertainment side, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. practice days or whatever they're called. Um, I went in and, you know, dropped a media packet on every single media outlets desk. Uh, here's Michael Tobiason. Here's his story. This is a guy that, you know, this isn't tiger coming back, for a second year at the open or a 12th year or whatever. This is a guy that's from Wilmington, Delaware. Um, and you know, he got here through heart and, uh, and this is his chance. So we got a lot of press from that. That was really cool. The golf channel had actually, um, uh, followed him and, and the journey that, that we took from kind of Wilmington to, uh, the open, I think it was called the road to the open. And, um, it was just cool. You know, it was really cool to see a good friend um, that has worked so hard reap the rewards of that hard work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I mean, to go to the open as a golfer is a dream, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, and it doesn't matter where you place or, uh, or whatever. Like, y- oh, yeah. you know, it's like being nominated for a Grammy or something. Like, mm-hmm. does it really matter that you won? I mean, yeah, it'd be cool if you won, but you were nominated for a freaking Grammy. Like, yeah. that's awesome. So that's all, all that kind of how all that happened. And of course, as I was doing that, you know, I'm also juggling everything else that I was <laughs> doing. Were you juggling the Oprah's Life class during that time? Uh, Oprah's life class was after that, after that, um, the open, I want to say 2013, somewhere like that. And then it was the next year that the Oprah's life class thing happened and they had seen something of mine where I talked about fatherlessness. Um, I don't remember if it was a song. I, I forget exactly what the circumstances were, but they reached out to me. And, um, and that completely changed my life, my entire life. Yeah. Was that, um, well, first of all, how were, how were the conversations? Let's start with that. I have a lot of questions. Early on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So early (laughs) on, um, you know, they wanted to know my story, you know, from my own words, what, what it was like, you know, having a father. So earlier I talked about my dad. Um, and just to, just to unconfuse people potentially, um, my dad 
is, uh, so I have my biological father and then I have my dad. Um, my dad, my mom married, you know, when I was eight or six or something like that. Um, incredible man. My biological father left before, you know, left when my mom got pregnant. Um, so they asked a lot of questions about my biological father, what it was like growing up. Uh, you know, how did I feel knowing that I had a man out there that helped to give me life, but wasn't in my life, you know, and um, they really did their due diligence, of course, you know, it's Oprah. Um, and, you know, I, I think they also felt my pain at the time, um, how that translated into the life I was living. And I don't mean the broadcasting and all that stuff, but like, how does that manifest itself in your daily life? Right. And at that time, it seeped through every pore of my being and not, um, not that I was obsessed or anything with it, but at that time, I hadn't resolved it yet. So, you know, I told them, you know, I'd walk down the street and wonder like, is that my father? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, did I walk by him? Is that my cousin? Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And my mom had saved pictures and all. My, my mom was, and my mom is absolutely amazing, but um, she never talked bad about him or anything. She just kind of, as I asked questions, would present the facts. Um, and so, which I think is vitally important. Um, she let me make up my own mind on what happened. Um, she was just, you know, kind of like, you know, uh, your father as, and this, she brought it up when I, or, or I'm sorry, she answered when I started bringing it up at, a, you know, age appropriate, um, time. And she was just very factual. This is what happened. Um, and kind of left it there. So I, over time, I came to my own like determinations, but, uh, and she had saved some pictures and stuff like that if I had ever wanted them and, and gave them to me. And, but still you have all these questions that you can't ask the person that you need the answers from. Right. That I think was the hardest part for me. I can talk to my mom all day about that and the bottom line is she can only answer it from where she is, you know, um, she can't tell me what he was thinking, you know, she can't tell me why he made the decisions he did right. because she's not him. So, um, and of course the person that you want these answers from, the only person who can really answer them is not willing to answer them or even talk, you know what I mean? Right. So, Sorry, just readjusting here. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where all of that was. I went really on a tangent there. No, and I appreciate it because it helps. It helps me understand, and of course, yeah, everyone listening understand more of the of your background. Did it resolve? Did it help you in some way resolve or have any sort of closure by talking about it and having these conversations on open the book? shows? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean. Um, Yes. I don't know if you saw any of the clips. I did four or five episodes. Um, the first one that I did uh, was, and this was terrifying, by the way. I mean, I went out by myself to 
Chicago multiple times, flying back and forth mm. on one of the biggest stages in the world, you know, on Oprah's yeah. stage. And I mean, you know, you're talking about, you know, every country in the world practically um, has access to this and went out there, you know, like I said, multiple times. And what happened was in the moment where they were telling my story, I, I decided as I was hearing it, you can either keep up your wall about this or you can open the door and I decided to open the door because I'm like you know what I'm here in Chicago by myself in this you know studio that I literally have grown up watching um with Oprah and Iyanla who was uh the the life coach for for that and um take down the wall, you know, open the door. And I literally made that conscious decision to do that on stage. And so, you know, they started asking me questions, Oprah and Yanla. And I just, you know, because I had made that conscious decision to open that door, to let down my guard, um, I did. And so that process healed me. I think it was the process of letting down my guard, being vulnerable, um, you know, not being so tough about this conversation, you know, yeah. um, and the power of that vulnerability, uh, through the vehicle vehicle of Oprah's life class in that moment changed my life. Um, I allowed what Oprah and Iyanla were telling me to hit my heart rather than that wall, you know? Yeah. So when, Oprah and Iyanla were saying, you know, this is, Iyanla said it, it's not about you. You know, this isn't about you. Even though it affects me, obviously, his decision was not about Kyle the being, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. or, or Kyle the soul. It was about um, Kyle the sperm or, or baby or whatever. But and it didn't matter if it was Kyle or, you know, Kelly or whatever. It was the situation that he was reacting to, not me as a person personally. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And I may have been told that all my life, but because I had that wall up, it never got in. And so it was in that moment that I'm with all these. The audience was filled with men. Um and all of those men were uh, fatherless. And so it was in that instant that the healing began for me, that I was like, you know, it's not about me. This is not about me. Um, it's his ish, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't wanna curse. Right. Um, it's his crap, uh, everything revolving on that is his stuff you know how could you can't reject somebody you can't reject me if you've never met me right you know you can reject the idea of me um but you can't reject me because you don't you know you don't, you've never even seen me right so it took 
a long time um, to to get that. But it was in that moment that 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 all happened. And that was very, very, very powerful for me. Um, and it also opened so many other doors, uh, you know, aside from the fatherless thing, it, it opened up doors and changed the trajectory tra- trajectory of my life. This is why I shouldn't use big words. Um, (laughs) You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.